Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Have you ever had a bad day? None of you? That's amazing, right? Uh, have you ever had a bad day that, like, it wouldn't be nice if, or it wasn't an option, if, like, you needed some comfort food, right? You know what I mean? Like, you needed to hit ice cream on the way home. You needed something that was just going to take whatever the day was away, and, like, it was just found in, like, uh, just eating. So, a couple weeks ago, I was having one of those days, actually. Uh, Melissa and I were, along with some friends, and we just decided, you know what? Today is over, and we just need the easy way out. So, we went to the frozen food section at Walmart, and uh, we bought, like, all of the appetizers that you're not supposed to buy from a package, you know what I'm talking about? Like, they're the wings, it's the ribs, it's uh, potato skins, jalapeno pop, right? The things that are bad, even if they're made fresh, but then you buy them frozen, and it just, like, compounds on itself. And let me tell right, it just hit the spot, right? Have you ever had one of those days, like, you just needed some comfort, right? That's why it's called comfort food, right? It, it takes away some of that stress, right? Some people will say that in seasons uh, where life or circumstances seem particularly out of control in an unenjoyable way, the ability to control something, even as simple and as basic as enjoyable food, makes us feel good, right? It's, it's cathartic. It's healing, right? In other words, sometimes food is more than just food. Are you with me? Sometimes there's more to the food in front of us, to the experience that's going on in our lives than simply the sum of the parts on the plate. And believe it or not, Scripture would agree with you. And today we're going to talk just a little bit about that. We're in week four of our series that we're calling Foundations, and we're looking at the book of Acts, specifically this one small section that kind of works like a blueprint for the church. We've been saying that it sets the foundation not only for the church, but for our lives. And when we devote ourselves to these foundational principles that we can expect a certain result from practicing those things, and there is a response that that is also cultivated. And guess what? Food really is one of those terms. Let's just review that scripture together, see if maybe you can pick it out. This is Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, they, this is the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily of those who were being saved, right? The breaking of bread, right? Sharing a meal, sitting across the table from other people. This was a typical pattern. It's our typical pattern, but they were devoted to it. They were committed to it. Food was more than just food in the life of the early church, which leads perhaps to an obvious question, which is why? 
right, of all the spiritual principles, of all the foundational principles that we could talk about together, that we could say these are important to have your life, right? We talked about prayer. Everybody agrees. Yep, that's a good thing, foundational part of following Jesus. We talked about reading the Bible. Yep, we agree. That's a good part of following Jesus. Fellowship, being together. Yep, check the box. And then, and then food, and then sharing a meal together, this idea of breaking of, ba- of bread. What does that have to do with Jesus or with my soul or with eternity? In other words, what's spiritual about sharing a meal? What's so spiritual about that? How many of you guys were raised saying grace? Anybody say grace at their home, right? Still around the tables? That's right. For those of you with your hands down, right? Grace is just a a blessing that we pray before we eat. And really, it's to cultivate an attitude of gratefulness, right? Of thanksgiving, right? That the food on our table, while it may come as a direct result of our work or our paycheck, we recognize that everything is God's. And so when we sit down to a meal, we want to give thanks and gratefulness to Him, to thank Him for His provision. And food is more than just food, right? It's a physical dependency. We need it to survive. And so when we come to the knowledge of who God is and how He meets us in our area of need, it's an appropriate response for us to be grateful, for us to express thanksgiving with glad and sincere hearts, as the Scripture records. And so when we translate that gratefulness, when we translate that experience into a room full of people around a shared table, around a shared meal, something miraculous begins to happen, right? Instead of the world perhaps being an overwhelming or scary or daunting place, it it turns into a place of grace, of comfort, of love, and of trust. So in other words, what's so spiritual about sharing a meal? The answer is everything. Maybe you've had a couple meals like that in your life where you gather around a table and the people that you're with and the memories that you create and the atmosphere that you cultivate is just so powerful that you remember that moment, you remember that experience. And when we share a meal together, not only in a spiritual sense, but just in the physical sense, then we can translate this belief that we share together in common, right? When we gather together on a Sunday morning and it pushes it out from just being a one time experience into the three meals that we all eat every day in order just to sustain our physical bodies, right? This is why sometimes in our small groups, a lot of our small groups share a meal together because there's something about sharing that space together that injects grace and truth and love into the whole mixture, right? This is part of the work of the church in the world is to cultivate this attitude of hope and love, and it can be as simple as sharing a meal with someone, whether they're from your belief background or not. Andrew, who's our uh, outreach coordinator, he sent me an article this morning and just a, a thought that the Lord placed on him. But We've had three major divisional tragedies just in the last, I think, 72 hours. He I forwarded me the article. I didn't even hear about the first one, that there was a, a failed attempt of, a, uh, of an attack on an African-American church in Kentucky that he wound up killing two African-Americans in that. After that, we had the, the male pipe bombs, right, that were politically motivated. Nobody's saying that, but everybody's reading between the lines. And then we've got uh, the, the shooting at the synagogue yesterday with something like 11 people dead. I'm not really up to date on all of those statistics. But the article published on CNN actually wove this together and put it in a way that really said, there's so many things that divide us. And Andrew's takeaway that he just shared with me, and I'm encouraged to share with you, is that 
the work of the church is to reunite people around those areas of division, is to come into those spaces and to do something as simple as sharing a meal with somebody that perhaps we wouldn't ordinarily do, and to interject some of that grace and truth and love into the rhetoric, because what we read on the, on the news, what we see on the TV, all seem to point to division. How's your mailbox doing, right? Is that full of love in this time of year, right? The big half-page long, you know what, I'm, maybe it's just my mailbox that's full of political stuff. Apparently it is. <laughs> right? It's just, just pushing us towards division. I don't even know what the issues are. I just know I shouldn't vote for that one, right? Like, I don't even know what it's about. Everything just says, don't, don't vote for that. I have to go and research on my own. And in this climate of division, the church has something to offer. This is why we do something silly like dollar car wash, right? It's not even engaging in a spiritual conversation. It's just being a blessing. It's putting our foot out in the community to say, hey, we're here and we love you right where you're at. You don't have to have any connection with us. It's why we do a Thanksgiving outreach to say, hey, this isn't about you coming to us. This is about us being a blessing in the world around you, about shining the light of Jesus just a little brighter. And as I survey the news, the need is great sometimes too great, and we go, oh, I don't know that I could, I don't know that I could meet that need. I don't know that I could be present in that situation, but I think that it's God's call in our lives to be present. And it may look as simple as inviting a neighbor over to share a meal. What if they believe differently than we do? Yeah, so? What if they look differently than we do? Yeah, so? What if we invited those people into Thanksgiving? What if we provided them with a meal? What if we just shined the light of Jesus a little bit brighter? Somewhat off topic, but also hopefully somewhat on topic, because actually Jesus' teachings around food and around this place in our lives and around setting an open table, you remember we talked about this over the summer, right, that sitting down to a meal conveyed equality, conveyed unity, conveyed that we were on the same playing field. And Jesus talks a lot about food. As a matter of fact, I'd like to share one major story. It's probably one that you all know, but I want to connect some dots throughout the narrative of John chapter 6. So if you brought a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn to John chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, I'd encourage you to raise your hand. Our ushers have Bibles that you can borrow, and, and more so than typical, we're going to walk through the entire section of John 6, and so I think that the headings and seeing it kind of all laid out will be helpful. So I don't know if your smartphone has those headings uh, or not, but I'd encourage you to open to John chapter 6. It's going to be on page 502, uh, and we're just going to walk through this whole passage. As you turn there, as maybe you look, you already see the heading on there and the heading is Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? Not a new story, a story that you've all heard before, you're all familiar with it, right? Just to recap, Jesus gives one of the longest sermons in history, uh, and the disciples get worried, and they say, hey, we're a long way from McDonald's, and uh, I'm not sure about you, Jesus, but I'm getting hungry. Shouldn't we worry about feeding this multitude of people, right? The Scripture records that it was 5,000 men, not counting women and children, which means we can safely estimate 10 to 15,000 people are present, and there's no food anywhere in sight. And you all know the miracle, right? Jesus receives five loaves, two fish. He distributes it among the people. Everybody eats until they had their fill. But in the midst of this story that you know so well, I want to draw your attention to verse 11 real quick. 
Verse 11 says, Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. See, there's a relationship between the provision that we have from God, miraculous, supernatural, or just normal, everyday bread and fish, and the relationship of gratefulness, right? The relationship between food and thanksgiving, not the holiday. Stay with me. There's a relationship between food that sustains and our recognition recognition of its source and our need to bring gratefulness and thanks in the midst of that, right? This is actually a life habit that I'm trying to cultivate now. There's research out there from the scientific community that says people who live with life with an attitude of gratefulness and gratitude tend to experience higher levels of compassion and happiness, more self-actualization, right? Life is better when people experience gratitude and gratefulness on a regular basis. Almost every, uh, kind of not self-help calendar, that's a bad word in this day and age, right? But every like motivational calendar or like day tracking kind of thing has these rituals built into it about, hey, every day, write down something that you're grateful for. Write down a habit or something meaningful that you can express thanksgiving for. Because as we walk through life, sometimes we tend to think that it's all the stuff that we've achieved and we aren't grateful for those things. We simply take them for granted. So Jesus has this example of giving thanks. Jesus said grace, and I wonder what that grace sounded like versus the grace that my kids pray at our table. We do the shark prayer a lot around my table, right? How is your gratefulness for the food on your table, for the roof over your head, for the income that you've received? Maybe you're a self-made individual. You're going, man, I've worked for every dime that I've gotten. It's all on me, and I just wonder where God plays into that story, whether you not, you have a grateful opportunity to thank God for the ability that you have to work for the provision that he's giving you for all that the Lord has provided. Because Thanksgiving, now I am talking about the holiday, is right around the corner, right? And what's the tradition at Thanksgiving? You sit around the table, you sit down, you go around the table and you say what? What are you thankful for, right? Why do we do that only on Thanksgiving? Can we be thankful more than one day, one meal, a year? Can we express that on a normal basis where we have time and opportunity to go around and to say what we're thankful for in our lives? Can we cultivate this attitude of gratefulness and can we channel that together around the table as a meal up to God? This is the example that the early church sets before us and the example that they give to us is that they devoted themselves to this mealtime together. The response was that they were grateful and gratitude for it just as Jesus was in John chapter 6 and the response then from every person was, we should do this again, right? Kind of like when you have food in the morning at church, like, man, we should do this every week. This is awesome, right? The response is, we should do this again. And so now we've got our formula that we've been kind of talking about as we walk through this passage, right? The early church devoted themselves to sharing a meal, specifically with like believers, but also with others in the community. And as they did that, they cultivated an attitude of gratitude, not just for the food on their table, but for the relationships that they were building and the response to when you have that experience, right? Where food is more than just the food on the table, your attitude is, wow, we should do this again, right? It's kind of like when you, um, we're not, many of us aren't dating, maybe you are dating and you have a meal where you hit it off or like when you're going out with friends for the first time, right? Like coworkers from work or people that you're not quite sure or like I know him but I don't know her and they don't know you and but you sit down to a meal together and you like just have the best time ever, right? Have you had that experience? You're like, man, 
we should do that again. Maybe there's a couple coming to mind that you're like, we haven't gotten together with them forever, and we should. I was reminded we have some friends actually that are here, and when we were in college together, I, I remember that, and college was an easier time to do this, I admit that, um, but it was like every single night it felt like, it was just like, are we going to your house or my house? Like, like whose house is it? And we would make uh, tuna helper and uh, really, really gross orange crescent dollar rolls. And, uh, and that was just life. We fed the whole family for six bucks, and, uh, and it was awesome. And we should go, man, I don't want to eat that again, right? But we should do that. <laughs> we should do that again because there's something more than just food and the sum of its parts. There's a, a gratefulness that gets cultivated. And too often when we grow up and we get to perhaps the stage where you're at now where you can afford your own place and where you have your own family and your own rhythms, we tend to get isolated, right? We tend to get separated from those close relationships. We have to make intentional time to find the space to cultivate that. And when we don't do that, we find ourselves missing out on a little bit of life, a little bit of fullness, a little bit of gratefulness, a little slice of heaven, right? And again, this isn't only in Acts, but this is in the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000. He gives thanks, right? He gives thanks, the bread multiplies, and then he disappears, right? Like it literally is just like he was around and then he just kind of walked off and people lost track of him, right? And then the disciples leave without him. If you're reading through the headings, you can see the next heading there. And then he comes to them walking on the water. You got miracle on top of miracle here. Peter almost drowns. That's a story for another day. But the crowd, right, they see the disciples leave on the boat. They count all 12 of them. There's only 12 people, not 13. They see the boat go across. No other boats go across. And then they find Jesus on the other side. Let's pick up the story here. This is verse uh, John chapter 6, verse 22, I believe. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite side of the shore, this is where the feeding of the 5,000 took place, they realized that, the on, that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd, interesting how the author highlights the giving thanks part there. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the, the lake, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Which is more like a, how did you get here, right? Because they're like, we do the math, right? There's 12 of you that got in the boat, and then there's 13 of you over here. They knew that Jesus wasn't on the boat. Now, step back from this story, right? You just were in the middle of nowhere, right? Like I'm talking middle of Wyoming, nowhere, right? There's nothing around. And then all of a sudden, everybody eats and has their fill. And you know something's going on. 15,000 people don't just eat in the middle of nowhere when nobody brings a lunch. So they pursue Jesus, right? The scripture records, actually, they want to make him king. And Jesus works his way through the crowd and disappears into nowhere. Then you're sitting there and you see 12 people get on the boat. But when you get to the other side, the person who you know wasn't on the boat is already over there. You can't walk around this lake in that time. Everybody knows that. They know something is up. They know that something is happening. They know that there's something different going on. And this is the time where you and I know is the right time for Jesus to make his political stand, right? This is where he announces he's running for king. Vote for me. This is the time to do it, to announce to the people, this is the time I am the Messiah. But Jesus doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, he pushes back against the crowd. Let's continue the story. Verse 26. 
Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, for which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus says, look, you're just, you're just here for the free meal. You had your meal, and your response was, we should do that again. And you came here not because you understand the miracles or my purpose. In other words, he says, you're not here for me. You're only here for what I can provide for you. And then he goes on to say, look, there's, there's more to food than just food. Don't work for food that is temporary when I can offer you food that is eternal. Don't chase after what can only satisfy your physical need when I have the ability to meet your spiritual need. If you were here for that bread, we'd have a feast right now, but you're not. You're here for the handout. You're here for the easy meal, but what I'm offering you is not physical nourishment. What I'm offering you is spiritual nourishment. See, there's more to food than just physical. Food isn't only physical. Food is also spiritual. There is food, Jesus says, that feeds the body, and then there is food that feeds the soul. And so when we talk about the apostles being devoted, the early church being devoted to sharing a meal together, it's not just filling their belly, it's filling their souls. The crowd begins to believe him, right? They begin to ask the right question, verse 28. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? How do we get this food that is more than food? How do we get eternal soul-sustaining food? We understand the work that we must do for physical sustenance. What work, what thing, what action do we need to take in order to get spiritual food, spiritual nourishment? That's a good question. It's the right question, I would argue. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. Right, if you want to know where soul nourishment starts, where soul food begins, it starts with this very statement. To please God, to be in connection with Jesus is to believe in him and in his word and in his coming and in his coming again. Into the story, right? This is the message of the gospel, except they and we are, are people which means that we can't just take the easy answer, right? We've got to make it more complicated. So they go from this right question, how do we get this spiritual food to prove it? Think about that. So they ask him, verse 30, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread to eat from heaven. Let's just recount the last 24 hours, shall we? Right? Feeding of 5,000 men, 15,000 people in the middle of nowhere. You try to make the guy a king, and somehow he disappears in the midst of that exchange. I don't know how that happens. You see 12 people get on the boat, 13 are on the other side, and you have the audacity to ask for a sign. Right? You're messed up right? That's what that is. There's no way that you're paying attention to what's going on. Fast forward with me, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I'm the spiritual sustenance. I'm the source of that nourishment. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry again, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. You've seen the signs and the wonders, and you still 
don't believe. Jesus answers their question directly. Soul nourishment, soul food comes from me. I am the bread of life. As a matter of fact, you experienced it yesterday, not in the food that you ate, but in the teaching that I provided. But you followed me not for more teaching, not for more spiritual truth, not for more identity wrapped up in the God of the universe. You followed me for the handout for the free meal when I've come to offer your spiritual need. You've seen and you still don't believe. We're not just, we're not just talking about people 2,000 years ago, are we? Sometimes this is our experience as well. Many of us come to faith perhaps when we're younger, we've grown up in the church and we have this belief system and then we grow up and we kind of change and we adapt and we end up coming to places where we're at church of somewhat maybe responsibility, maybe there's life-giving pretense there, but we go and we say, man, if if I were there, right, if we saw the feeding of the 15,000, if we saw Jesus walk on the water, then we wouldn't be asking for a sign, right? We'd believe, we'd be following him for spiritual food, surely not us, Jesus, But all too often as we survey our life, when we come to church, when we come to God, what are our prayers, what are our life subsistence consisting of? Do we come to Jesus to feed our souls, to meet the need of our hearts, or all too often are we going, man, Jesus, life is just really hard right now. I could really use some help meeting my physical need. I'm a little short on rent. I'm having a disagreement with somebody physically in me. Our prayers seem to be, at least my prayers, I won't put it on you guys, my prayers seem to focus very much on God meeting my physical need, God coming to where I am rather than seeking his provision of spiritual nourishment and fulfillment for my life. I think that Jesus says the same thing to us in our relationship with him that he says to this group 2,000 years ago. Sometimes when I show up to church, when I show up to God's presence, when I sit down to read my Bible, I'm only looking for a physical handout. I'm only looking to check the box so that I feel like I'm a good person. I'm only looking for the things that I'm responsible and ought to do. I'm not actually coming for spiritual nourishment and fulfillment because I feel like I've got that covered. Right, I said the prayer when I was young. I read my Bible. I pray regularly. So Jesus, I'm not looking for any more spiritual sustenance. I need something different. And Jesus is saying, look, I am the bread of life. It isn't a prayer that you pray one time. It isn't even the sum of your habits. The reality is that there is no life outside of your relationship with me. There's nothing else that exists, and sometimes I show up with a guilty conscience just trying to assuage my fears or my doubts about the world. I come to do what I ought to do because I was raised this way, and Jesus says, I'm not here to check that box for you. I'm not here to meet the physical needs that perhaps you feel, but I'm all in to nourish your soul. In other words, the food that I provide is more than just food. And church, this shared experience that we have is more than what happens for one hour on Sunday. Church is an invitation to a reorientation of our world to go out and to spread this good news to everyone around us, to be reminded of our relationship with Jesus and our place in eternity. It's a place to feast ourselves spiritually, to be grateful for all that God has given to us, and then to say, wow, when can we do that again? 
When can we come back together for that fellowship? When can we come together to be present together, right? It's an opportunity to connect. And while there's nothing magical or super spiritual about a gathering like this, there is a reality that we can own that something significant happens. But if we just come to meet our physical need, then our church experience will be more drudgery than joy. We'll be more obligated than grateful. And instead of saying, when can we do that again, we might be saying, do we have to go again? Can't we sleep in for one day? Surely not every week we have things going on. Can't we just have a Sunday off? Here's the deal. If you're able to miss church but not actually miss it, you might only be meeting a physical requirement, not a spiritual need. If you're able to miss church but not feel like you're missing anything, your attendance, your presence here might only be checking a physical requirement box instead of finding the soul-sustaining peace that Jesus gives you in this moment. You might be looking for a loaf of bread when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He's the source that sustains us, right? And surely this isn't only on Sunday, but we can also agree that there's something that happens when we gather together in a sacred space for a shared purpose of worship and prayer together. The experience of church is more than the sum of its parts. There's more going on here than just gathering together and singing a few songs and listening to a word from Scripture. Food isn't just food, but also church isn't just church. Jesus calls us to this experience in the same way that he did 2,000 years ago. Verse 48, John 6. He says, I am the bread of life. He reiterates it. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Jesus says, look, God met the physical needs of your ancestors, and they still died physical deaths. I could give you bread for your entire life. I could answer every prayer. We could have all won the lottery last week, right? God says, I can do that, but your real need is not physical in nature. Your real need, the desire of your heart, the thing that I see as your creator, the lover of your soul, is that you have a spiritual need. And I'm here to meet that. I'm here to be present in that moment. That's what I'm here to do. It's like the, do- the guy who goes to the doctor and his cholesterol is pretty high, and the doctor says, hey, we've got we've to address your cholesterol. This is getting to an unsustainable level. There could be real problems that happen if we don't. And the guy says, that's awesome, doctor. I'm all on board. Whatever prescription plan you want to give me, whatever cure you want to put me on, like I'm all for it. I agree. This is, this is an unhealthy problem. The doctor says, that's great. I'm glad to hear about it. What I want you to do is I want you to go home, and I want you to start eating healthy. Not like once, like every single meal. I want you to make sure that you're having fruit and vegetables, that you're eating a well-balanced diet. I want you to make sure that you're eating fresh, whole, healthy foods. And and then I want you to exercise, right? At least three times a week starting out, but then we'll move up to four and five times a week. If you begin eating healthy and cholesterol-reducing foods and you increase your exercise, then then I think we can beat this thing. I think we can get back into a healthy mode. And the the guy says, wow, yeah, I uh, I think I'll just take the pills instead, doctor. That sounds way too hard. Right? The need that you have is that you need to get healthier. 
But the reality is, yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking for that kind of solution, Doc. Why don't you just, why don't you just give me the checkbox? Why don't you give me the pill that I take one time a day that fixes all of this, and I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing? Jesus, the doctor, right, says your need is not for a pill. Your need is for a physical change. And Jesus says your need is not for me to meet all your physical needs. Your need is spiritual in nature. Contentment, joy, a life of meaning and purpose, investing yourself in something that matters, right? Everyone is searching for those things in their lives. And the answer for what our soul seeks is profoundly connected with our Creator, We can spend our whole life having accepted Jesus in one prayer at one time and going through the rest of our life spiritually emaciated because we had bread, we had a meal that one time, and we missed the vast resources that Christ provides us, not on Sunday, but every day of our week. Right? There's more to food than just food. There's more to church than just church. And there's more to life than simply being alive. You can die far before you stop breathing. And too often, especially for us in America, we live our life to the edge, full bore, push every step of the way. And life goes a million miles an hour. And if we're not careful, we won't have time to stop and to assess our spiritual need. We'll be so busy meeting the physical demands of our lives that we'll never allow ourselves to stop and see if we're hungry at a soul level or not. This is why church matters. This is why this gathering matters as an opportunity to get, in, to get acquainted with our soul's need for a Savior. The people of Jesus' day heard this testimony of Jesus, right, that he was the bread of life, which was completely heretical to them, by the way. He called himself greater than Moses. He equaled himself with God, all of which would be great reasons to stone him. And so many leave him. They turn their backs. They say, man, I like the miracles. I like the free food. I I like what you're preaching, but I can't get behind this whole bread of life thing. I I can't get behind this whole physical need thing. I can't get to the eating of your flesh and drinking your blood. I can't get to showing up every week. That's going too far. That's too weird. That's too spiritual for me. And as we continue on through John chapter 6, it says that many leave following Jesus, many disciples, many people who were devoted to to him turn their back. So Jesus asks a profound question. He turns to his 12 disciples, right, the apostles, those closest to him, and he asks them this question. He says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So we see Jesus here in a moment of perhaps overwhelmingness, perhaps of weakness, perhaps of sorrow, depression, abandonment, whatever he's feeling at that moment. And he turns and asks this profound question to those closest to him. What about you? What are you feeling in the midst of this difficult announcement that I bring more than just physical sustenance? I bring answers to your spiritual need. Is the commitment too much for you to handle as well? Are you just not that hungry? And Peter hits the nail on the head. Hey, if we want life, if we want something that lasts for eternity, if we want significance and spiritual sustenance, Jesus, where else could we go? There is no life apart from you. There's nothing outside of you. In other words, Peter answers the question, there's more to life than being alive. There's more than just our 24 hours a day, seven-day experience for the 80 to 90-odd years that we're here. 
There's more to church than just a place to gather, and there's more to food than just what sustains our body. Jesus was the only place where life could be found, and I wonder if that's true for us today. Is Jesus life, period? Is there nothing else that scratches the itch and the need of your soul? Is there no other place for you to find fulfillment and life and destiny and purpose? Is there no other place for your hunger to be satiated? Is Jesus an add-on to your already busy life? Is church good when we can swing it? Is prayer only reserved for really special circumstances? Does this Jesus thing work for now but might not pan out in the long run? Do you only eat food to keep from starving? Do you only stay alive to say that you're not dead? If so, then why would we let church and community and worship and prayer and fellowship be only when we need it, only when we feel it, only when it works out in the calendar? Because there's more to food than just eating to survive, and there's more to being alive than simply having breath in our lungs, and there's more to this gathering together than simply the space that it occupies on a calendar. And the response to this foundational piece, right, of devoting ourselves to sharing life together was a gratitude for all that God provides, and a man, I can't wait to do that again. So let's be encouraged to keep coming together. Let's keep eating, but not just to eat, but to be together and to enjoy the fulfillment that God gives us, to have life to the full. Let's worship and pray and fellowship often, not to insulate us from others who believe differently, but so that we might be equipped to invite them in to something that actually matters and means something in their life. There's little doubt that this reference to breaking of bread not only refers to standard meals, but also to communion, right? This ancient tradition that Jesus hands out to his disciples where he has time and opportunity to share a meal with them, and then after the meal, he gives them a spiritual illustration to say, look, the meal that we shared is not just physical, it is also spiritual, The bread on the table is not just bread for your body, but it is also my body, which gives spiritual sustenance to you. This drink on the table doesn't just quench your third thirst, it actually satisfied the needs of your soul because it is my blood which is shed for you. And in this way, right, he ties this teaching in John chapter 6 with something that's been celebrated day in and day out by the church throughout the history. Again, not only being grateful for the physical needs that God meets, but also meeting around a table and meeting our spiritual needs as well. They shared the gratitude that this community produced in them, and it created a foundation that was worth building upon for them. So today, in addition to the physical food that hopefully you've eaten and satisfied your body with, we're going to have some spiritual food as well. So communion is set before you. There's a table on your right and on your left. We're going to encourage these two sections. Come to the middle row. You'll come up and partake. Go around to the wall and enter your section through the outside. Same with these two sections. Center row, come up front, around to the outside, and back into your rows. We practice open communion here, which means so long as in taking the step, you're professing a belief or a step in belief towards Jesus and God and his relationship with you. All are welcome at this table. But the point here, again, is not for a church snack, as I know that we all know and believe. 
but it's the opportunity perhaps where you need to express a gratefulness for the gift that you've received in Jesus, for the time, space, and opportunity that he's afforded to you, not just where your physical needs have been met every day up until now, but where your spiritual need is also. As we have time and opportunity, I would encourage you to take this communion with that thought in mind. That this bread is more than bread, that this drink is more than drink, that food is more than food, and that this experience that we share together is far more than the sum of its parts. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we're mindful of your great love for us that you shed and that you put down for us on the cross. And as we reflect, God, on something that is a need for our physical life, God, we're reminded that there are spiritual needs that are just below the surface. Sometimes we're aware of them, sometimes we're not. God, in this moment, would you touch those places of our hearts that perhaps we have ignored, perhaps we've been unwilling to acknowledge, perhaps they're actually areas that you've drawn our attention to. And in this space this morning, God, we can be grateful to you that you're meeting that spiritual need that we have. God, as we share around a table together, not only this table in front of us, but the table that we already partook in, God, would you remind us of how your spiritual food is everywhere. And that not only are we partakers in that God, but we are dispensers of it as well. Dispensers in our family, in our places of work, as we walk down the street, as we drive our car. God, you give us grace that we might give it to others. So God, would you do exactly what you promised to do? Would you meet our spiritual needs today? Would we come to you confessing those areas where we need your life, where we need your touch, where we need your spiritual nourishment for our lives? And then would you send us out, God, full of the grace of your gospel, of your truth, of your broken body and shed blood that we might give to others in the same manner? Heavenly Father, there's more going on here than just what's on the surface, and we're grateful for your insights into what's going on below the surface. God, would you enable us and equip us to see it clearly, to have that be a, a need that is met within our hearts and lives, and that we would go out into the world meeting others' needs in the same way, even with something as simple as a meal. Heavenly Father, we love you. We trust you. Jesus, where else could we go? You have the words of life. Holy Spirit, would you seal this truth within us as we continue to worship you? All God's kids said. Amen.